Welcome to the Talk of Fame Network. I got a good deal on those boys. The scout said they showed a lot of promise. With your Hall of Fame voters. Don't act like you're not impressed. Ron Borges. You want to punch me right now, but you won't. Rick Gosselin. I don't know what we're yelling about! And Clark Judge. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Vacation's all we ever wanted, right, Ron? You got that right. Where are you? It sounds as if you've already started your vacation. Where are you? I'm at the the Travelers Golf Tournament down in Connecticut, watching George Spieth doing his thing, and uh, waiting to grab my clubs and go on vacation, too. Wow, Gooseman. Sounds like uh, Ron has a head start on us. Uh, Maybe he's at the first tee. I don't know. Uh, Maybe he's at the 19th hole. I'm not sure. Goose, where are you going on your vacation? (laughs) Well, I'm going to spend some time in Chicago. You know, summer is the time to go north, get out of that Texas heat. I love Texas, but not in July and August. You going to a Cubs game? Probably not. Ron, I said 17th <laughs> hole. Are you on the 17th hole? No, the 19th hole, I said. You're on the 19th hole? Exactly right. 19th hole, that's the, the best hole for me. It's wet there, <laughs> but we're happy about it. There you go. Well, I'm happy about being on vacation, too. I'm off to Maine and Canada. Maybe see a Sea Dogs game in Portland. Uh, maybe get over to Quebec. Love that uh, Quebec City. Maybe, Ron, get over to your place. Okay. Uh, Come on maybe down. Maybe Sea Dogs in Quebec. You'll be at another golf tournament. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're gone, in case you haven't noticed. We are gone. We're on vacation. But our show and our guests, well, they're not. In fact, as we've done the past two years while we're away, we let our best of series play. And this time, it's quarterbacks running backs and wide receivers who are going to do the talking while we're away. And there are plenty of them. In fact, you're going to get eight of them each week. And, Ron, you got to trust us. They're good, right? They're good. They're noteworthy. And they're worth a second oh, listen, they're, right? Right. They're, they're all worth a second listen. And the, and the beauty of the second listen is, is you don't have to listen to us babbling in between. <laughs> so it's pretty good. You just get great uh, athletes telling stories. That's right. Hey, Ron, I'd watch that hook to the left. Watch that, would you please? Stay clear of the trees. Hey, in, in, in case you're interested, and I am certain you are, we get back. Uh, Goose, wh- when do we get back, Goose? First show of season four is Wednesday, July 26th, and we've got Falcons coach Dan Quinn, NFL oh. MVP Matt Ryan lined up to talk about any potential Super Bowl hangover by the Falcons. Well, July 26th, that's the week before the 2017 Hall of Fame induction. Hey, is that when we get Jerry and Jimmy on pay-per-view? Of course, Jerry Jones will be there. So will Kurt Warner, LT, Morton Anderson, Ken Easley, Terrell Davis, Jason Taylor. You know, we will be too. But that's that's and in us. the future. Right now, we're on vacation. Catch you down the road, guys. See ya. This is Greg Olson, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Introducing the new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. It's a mix of hand-spun vanilla-flavored soft serve, tasty bits of Lucky Charm cereal, and memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons in your PJs. The new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. Relive your childhood in a cup. Maybe it's the magical marshmallow pieces flying up your straw. Maybe it's the magically delicious taste. Whatever the reason, it's a good reason to head over to a Burger King restaurant and try one now, only at Burger King. Also, try the Fruit Loop Shake now at Burger King. Shakes available for a limited time only. Participation varies. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. You play to win the game. Talk of Fame Network is sponsored by GEICO, where just 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to GEICO.com. And you probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. Well, our first guest certainly played to win the game. 
Jameis Winston is one of those rare college quarterbacks who left two years of eligibility on the table to turn pro. But let's be honest, what was left for him to accomplish at Florida State? I mean, he won a Heisman Trophy, took his school to a national championship, and had a 26-1 record in college before turning pro and becoming the first overall pick of the 2015 NFL Draft by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As we conclude our college draft series this week, we've invited Jameis to visit with us today about his college career at FSU. And fortunately for us and for you, he agreed. Jameis, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Jameis, how does a kid from Alabama slip through the Crimson Tide net and wind up at Florida State? Uh, I just think I wanted to be different. Tuscaloosa was uh, about 35 minutes right down the road from me. And, uh, and Auburn already had Cam Newton. So uh, why not go and join Jimbo Fisher at Florida State? Funny, of course, you mentioned uh, uh, Cam Newton, Jameis. How much satisfaction was there for you in defeating an Alabama school, Auburn, uh, to win that national championship in, in 2013 and what was really a marvelous performance? Uh, it, was, uh, it was a blessing, just the adversity that we – that we encountered in that game and to come back and, and win, especially against the Alabama school. You know, uh, I wish I wish I could have played against that other Alabama school. I think it would have <laughs> probably meant more. But, uh, you know, Auburn had a, had a great team, uh, and that was a that was an amazing Iron Bowl they had there. So, uh, at the end of the day, uh, Alabama team was, was beat by Alabama boy. <laughs> Well, we're speaking with Tampa Bay quarterback and former FSU star Jameis Winston on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at, at talkoffamenet. And Jameis, uh, n- not only did you quarterback an unbeaten team, as I mentioned, and win a national championship in 2013, but you also became the youngest player and first teenager ever to win the Heisman Trophy, and you did that at the age of 19. College football isn't supposed to be that easy, so how did you do it? Well, uh, I... We had a great defense, <laughs> and that defense uh, got got us the ball a lot, you know, led by our middle linebacker, Telvin Smith. But, uh, you know, Coach, Coach Jimbo just, he, he trusted he trusted me. He gave me the keys, and uh, we recruited some great weapons. I mean, you, you think about your running back being Devontae Freeman, one of your main targets being Kelvin Benjamin, having a great tight end, and Nick O'Leary and Rashad Green on the other side. All five of my linemen actually got drafted. So, you know, we had some talent, and uh, all I did was have to stand in the pocket and complete some football. <laughs> you did a little more than that. Sounds pretty easy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just named a few. Our <laughs> whole starting 22 is in the NFL right now. So, Jameis, you became the third quarterback to win the Heisman at Florida State, following in the footsteps of Charlie Ward and Chris Winkie. Ward, of course, opted to play in the NBA when the NFL would not take him seriously enough to use a first-round draft pick on him as a quarterback. I saw Charlie Ward play. I always thought he was Russell Wilson before Russell Wilson. Do you know Ward? Have you met Ward? And do you consider him a trailblazer for African-American quarterbacks? Absolutely. Uh, He was actually one of my many mentors while I was down uh, playing at Florida State, and I still uh, talk to him. Uh, he, he was a he was a great role model for me, and uh, just being able to see his highlights and and uh, kind of feel in his shoes, you know, uh, with winning a, a Heisman, being an African American quarterback, was important to me. You know, obviously he could have did both, uh, but you know he he chose basketball. He, he chose uh, a sport that he he was really good in, 
I know that uh, he would have been great at football as well, but he chose his passion, and uh, he has a great life. Before you enrolled at Florida State, you were drafted also in uh, in baseball as a switch hitting outfielder by the by Kansas City and the Royals. Uh, by the way, also drafted John Elway and Dan Marino a few decades ago, so they were stockpiling quarterbacks, I guess. How strongly did you consider baseball and the offer that the Royals made? Because a lot of people would say it's a much safer uh, endeavor and the career's a lot longer and the money's guaranteed. Did you? How seriously did you think about baseball? Well, I was really serious about baseball. As a matter of fact, my, my agency is a baseball agency. They really, they really thought I was going to be a baseball player. Uh, but this football thing ended up working out for me. Uh, it was a dream of mine to be an NFL quarterback and uh, be a pro baseball player. But the way time has, has changed, uh, that isn't really allowed anymore. Being from Bessemer, Alabama, seeing Bo Jackson, hearing that name ring around a lot, uh, that was that was a dream of mine. So you never know. You know, uh, football, you know, what the, the lifespan of this sport is, is not really guaranteed, so baseball might might be there one day. Wait a minute, my baseball might be there one day. You might be in the next Deion Sanders playing both sports, so you might go over to baseball. No, I, I, I was thinking like being a, a fifty-year-old baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> you can put, you can kind of like Ron it. used to be twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 thank you very much. You hey, um, I want to ask you one question, James. Going back to the Charlie Ward question, you know, Goose said he thought he was Russell Wilson before Russell Wilson. From what you know of, of Charlie Ward, how do you think he would have translated in today's game? I mean, how successful do you think he would have been? Goose thinks he would have been Russell Wilson. How about you? You know, Charlie Ward, the thing about his game, he was so poised. And, you know, and, and that's and that's something that you don't see in a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, a lot of young quarterbacks transitioning into the, into the league now is just that the ability to be poised. So I know he would have tra- – his transition today would, would, would have been – he would have been very successful. The way that he moved in the pocket, you know, people people remember him for for his speed, but he had more fabulous throws. You know, the guy could really spin it. He could really sit in a pocket. And uh, just like Russell Wilson does today, uh, he, he runs when he wants to. You know, uh, he, he isn't a run, for, run first quarterback. Uh, he, he tries to pick you apart. And then if he has to pull the ball down, he, he runs. So the thing that I really admire about uh, Mr. Ward is, is how poised he is, and if you if you're a quarterback and you're cool, calm, and collective, uh, you can make a lot of things happen in the NFL. Now, James, the one thing I believe the college game has over the pro game is the rivalries. You you can't beat the atmosphere in Tallahassee when Florida or Miami come to town. As a player, did you find yourself dialing it up a notch when the Gators or Hurricanes visited? Uh, I really didn't. When I first when I first got to Florida State. People always talk about that rivalry, Florida State versus Florida, Florida State versus Miami. But being from Alabama, I was like, the biggest rivalry in the world is Alabama versus Auburn. So I didn't really understand it. But as I kept playing, I just I, I found that I really didn't like that team that was orange and blue. I, I, I really didn't like them at all. Uh, Miami, I could, you know, Miami wasn't in their prime uh, when we were playing. I think the, the first year we played, they, they, they actually – Started off seven and zero my first year that I played them, but Florida that was a team that that everyone really really wanted to beat. So uh, I feel I feel uh, <laughs> that I really didn't like them. I just wanted to beat them real bad. And actually, I had a lot of adversity against Florida my second year. 
So that made me didn't like them even worse. I threw three picks in the first quarter. So I was like, oh, my goodness. I really don't like this team. How, uh, uh, obviously, you came in the NFL and had, relatively speaking at least, you know, in, I won't say instant success, but very quick success. How did, how did Florida State uh, playing there prepare you for playing in the National Football League? Well, like I said, uh, one of my decisions to go to Florida State was because of Coach, Coach Jimbo Fisher. You know, uh, I, I really love him, and I am very grateful that I was able to to go to Florida State and get coached by him because he, he, he like I say, he gives you the keys. He, he allows you to run that offense, and the offense that we run at Florida State is a post-style offense. And uh, he he put me in a lot of situations that I see myself in today. So I was blessed to have him. Uh, he, he, he really means a lot to me and my family. He was like a father to me, and uh, the way he coached me, the way that he rolled me, and uh, really what he expected from me uh, really held me accountable uh, for everything that I did because I was running his offense. I mean, he ran this offense when he was in, in college, <laughs> playing for Sarah Bounds or, or Coach Bounds at, at Stanford. So he really, he really put it on me, and I respect him for that. Hey, Jameis, we got to go, but thanks for the time, and best of luck with the coming season. All right, thank you so much. That was Tampa Bay quarterback Jameis Winston. Up next, why a wide receiver you may not remember deserves a whole lot more from Hall of Fame voters. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Introducing the new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. It's a mix of hand-spun vanilla-flavored soft serve, tasty bits of Lucky Charm cereal, and memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons in your PJs. The new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. Relive your childhood in a cup. Maybe it's the magical marshmallow pieces flying up your straw. Maybe it's the magically delicious taste. Whatever the reason, it's a good reason to head over to a Burger King restaurant and try one now, only at Burger King. Also, try the Fruit Loop Shake now at Burger King. Shakes available for a limited time only. Participation varies. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? You kidding me? Talk of Fame Network is sponsored by GEICO, where just 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to GEICO.com. And you probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. Well, former quarterback Kurt Warner is more than an NFL network analyst who, well, starting Monday, will be on site at Super Bowl 51 in Houston. And he's more than one of 15 modern-era finalists for the class of 2017, too. Yes, he is a two-time finalist who, in each of his first two years of eligibility, reached the final 10 and who not only is among the favorites for induction into Canton this year, but is our guest right now. Kurt, great to have you back. Oh, it's great to be on, guys. Hey, Kurt, uh, first question. I mean, how astounding is it for you to think that once upon a time you had to fight your way into a huddle, I mean, any huddle, and now we're talking about you as a Hall of Fame finalist? Uh, it is uh, it, it's so surreal, um, you know, that for so long it was just I wanted an opportunity. I just wanted a chance, wanted a glimmer of hope that I could show people that I could play at this level. Um, and then after 12 great years with a lot of ups and downs along the way, 
to be in this category, to be among this list of finalists actually for the, the third time, it, it's just such an honor. It's so humbling. And, and as I said, it's surreal because I was the guy that was never supposed to play in the NFL and now to be considered, you know, as one of the greats, um, you know, and whether I'm elected or not, just to be a finalist three times, you know, puts you just outside uh, that category anyway. So just a tremendous honor. And uh, I'm enjoying the process as I do every year. And um, and we'll just see what's in store in the future. But, um, you know, the great thing is, is that I think just being here helps to define what I want my career to be about and to be able to inspire people regardless of where you start or how you get there. You can still have a great impact, uh, you know, in, in the time that you have and the opportunities you get. Kurt, do you think having been through this yourself, you know, one day you're stocking shelves and and, uh, and and just hoping for a chance, and next thing, you, you know, guys like uh, Clark and I are thinking uh, – deciding about voting uh, you into the Hall of Fame. Do you think there's other guys like you out there that somehow got kind of didn't get their chance at the right time or, or got lost in a shuffle a little bit when there wasn't an opportunity? Do you think that you know, you're the only guy like this, or do you think that there's <laughs> other other players there that, that we haven't seen? I think there's there's plenty of other players, and, and you guys know after watching the game for so long, you know, there's only so much you can tell about a player until they get between those lines in whatever environment. And, you know, specifically we're talking in the NFL, in pro football, you know, Tom Brady, uh, until he gets in those huge moments, you never know how someone is going to respond. You never know how good a football player someone is until you're in those moments. Yeah, you can look at the measurables and, you know, where they played and success or lack of success and all that stuff. But guys progress at different, you know, different ways, and guys can be able to handle certain things that other guys can. And that, to me, was just the difference for me, was that a lot of guys can throw, a lot of guys can make plays, but can you do it in the moment? Can you do it against the best in the world? Can you slow the game down? And those are things that we never know about anyone until they get that opportunity. And, yeah, I believe there's plenty of guys – that have missed that opportunity for for whatever reason or didn't get the right opportunity. I mean, I went to Green Bay's camp out of training camp, you know, and and Brett Favre was there and Mark Brunel and Ty Depper, and I never really got a legitimate opportunity um, simply because of the situation that I was in. That would have been my only chance to show what I was going to do and what I was capable of, and that was in a few short weeks in training camp where I had to try to fight for reps against other great players Nobody would have ever known uh, had I, you know, not got another opportunity. And so to believe that there's not other guys out there that are trying and looking and hoping for just the perfect opportunity to showcase their skills, I think is crazy. I was just fortunate that someone took a chance and gave me a second opportunity to do it. Otherwise, I would have been sitting back like I think so many others going, well, what if? You know, what if I would have got a legitimate opportunity? What could I have done? We've had uh, a number of guys on here in your position. We asked them about the Hall of Fame. You know, did, did they ever think about it? Guys like Brett Favre have said, nah, the, you know, it was just the game was reward enough. We've had some other guys that have legitimately said, yeah, I thought about it and, and, and hoped it. What about you? Did it, At some point during your career when you start piling up the numbers and the victories, did it ever sort of cross your mind at all? Hey, maybe in the end I'll end up um, in this club here. I mean, sure, it crosses your mind. I mean, from the time you're very young – I mean, you want to be the best at whatever you do. And, you know, being that I wanted to play football, 
No question. I mean, it was something that crossed my mind very early. And then as you're going through the process, I mean, I, I understood. I mean, how long it took me to get here and, and the road that I took. But I, th- I think for me, it was a bigger picture that if somehow I can have the impact uh, in the short period of time that I get to be able to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, what kind of impact that c- can that have on so many other people? And I think that's how I looked at it. Not so much to define my career, because I- I'm very content and very proud of the things that I accomplished, but more so if I could find a way to get there and let people recognize that it's not always about the number of opportunities or the number of moments you get to make an impact. It's about what do you do with the few or the many that you do get. And that to me, if I'm able to get in, is really the story for me, is to let people know, man, we're all not going to get the same opportunities. Life is not fair from that standpoint. But what do you do with the ones that you get? And to me, that's what my whole career has been about and why I love the way that that it took the, the path that it did. Because I think so many more people can associate with what it took to get here and what I was able to do in those moments and the ups and downs along the way and to say, you know what? I didn't get the opportunities I wanted. I didn't get as many as I wanted. I didn't have the moments, you know, like Tom Brady, to be able to play with one team for so many years and and have a chance to to go to set. I didn't get those opportunities, but the ones I did, I felt like I gave everything I could and did the best I could, and I believe I played as well as guys that have ever played this game. And to me, that's what I want my career to be defined by. And the Hall of Fame would just, I think, help me to be able to share that story with all those people out there that find themselves at some crossroads like I was at so many times in my career and say, you know what? You might not get the same opportunities as all these guys standing around me, but what do you do with the ones that you get? I had one question for you about another candidate this year. Uh, Actually, I have to make the presentation for him, which is Ty Law, who you had your own experiences with in in the Super Bowl. And I just wondered what your take is on him. Um, You saw all the the corners of, of that time period when he was playing. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I mean, I think he's right in that mix. I think the hard thing for me is that I didn't play against Ty a great deal. I think a lot of times when we think of Hall of Fame cornerbacks, we think of the shutdown corners, the guy that get up in your face and can take somebody out of the game like the Deion Sanders and those kind of guys. I don't remember Ty always being that guy, but I just remember him being the classic Extremely talented, obviously, you know, could, could cover anybody in the league, but just so cerebral and smart. And those were the guys that I hated to play against more than even the really talented guys. You know, they could make instinctual plays that were different from everyone else. And that, to me, when I've you know watched all the guys that, that I've played with, and I've played with some really talented guys, that's what separates the great ones. That's the ones that get into that room you know, and become finalists for the Hall of Fame or the guys that, yeah, they're talented, but they were difference makers in their instincts instincts that they had in the game. And, you know, played guys like, you know, Aeneas Williams, one of those guys mm-hmm. that was a great cover corner for so long, but when I was with him, he wasn't that guy anymore. But his instincts separated him as a football player. And, and to me, that's what Ty Law was. That's what scared me every time I went to play against Ty Law was not just he's physically talented, but he's got that understanding and instincts, the instincts of the game and the instincts of football that he scared me every time I threw the ball over there because he did things and knew things that other guys didn't. Mm -hmm. If it was just a fast guy over there, I'm like, okay, I'll find a way to attack him because he's just an athlete. 
but the great ones have the instincts that separate them. And that's what I remember about the times when I went against Ty Law is that, you know, he's the guy that made you hesitate because, you know, he could cover anybody and, and make a play athletically, but more importantly, instinctually and with his intelligence, he made you go, I'm going to second-guess everything I do to his side. And those, to me, are the game-changers in this game and the guys that you know, they get to this point and the guys that belong in the Hall of Fame. As you know, we have another of your teammates up for the Hall, and that's wide receiver Isaac Bruce. What can you tell us about him that Hall of Fame voters should know? I think the biggest thing is that, you know, I've been around some, some great receivers, uh, four guys that I believe belong in the Hall of Fame. But when I, when I look at Isaac Bruce, uh, I say best route runner that I ever saw. You know, from a standpoint of how he set the tone in practice, the way he ran routes, the way he set the tone for the entire quote-unquote greatest show on turf team. He was the model of what we were all about. And, you know, when you go back and look at those years, I mean, we had Isaac and Torrey and Marshall and Oz and Ricky. You know, so sometimes you look at him and you go, well, he didn't have too many of those breakout years. But he was so consistent, and he was the model of what we did. And the numbers are already great. But I think they would have been greater had he been the focal point of what we did. I mean, he was just that good of a player, you know, and you could see it, and everybody knows it, and that's why he's in consideration. But I think sometimes he doesn't get the consideration he deserves because there were so many other guys that were getting touches and getting the balls. If he was the man on our team, meaning everything went through him, Man, he'd probably already be in the Hall of Fame. You know, he, yeah. his numbers would be ridiculous. But because we had so many talented players and, and so many people knew his skills and were able to, you know, take him away and we were able to have such great success with other guys, he didn't have the gaudy numbers that I think some guys have. But his consistency and the way he went about his job and the way he ran routes, to me, was second to none, better than any of those guys, other guys that I played with that I believe – have skill sets that will get them in the Hall of Fame as well. But but he was a unique character and a guy that uh, that really showed me how to be a pro. And I think he did that to so many. And, and you know, just one of the reasons why he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Kurt, thanks so much for the time. And you know what? We're going to see you in Houston. So we'll look for you there. Sounds great. Look forward to it, guys. Thanks, thanks. Kurt. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. When I grow up, I want to make a pizza with the most cheese and the most pepperoni at the nation's best price. Six dollars. It's going to be the best pizza ever. Sorry, kid. It's been done. Introducing the new Little Caesars Extra Most Bestest Pizza, a large pizza with the most cheese and the most pepperoni at the nation's best price. But my mom says... This much cheese and pepperoni is what dreams are made of. Come get a large, hot and ready Extra Most Bestest Pizza for just six bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Burger King presents... Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two-for-four-dollar croissant deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant You know, they're just two-for-four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant deal is two-for-four-dollar. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. Hey, it's Steve. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm protesting the high price of my mobile plan. Metro PCS must think I'm an ATM, but I'm not. Do I look like an ATM? More like Steve TM. Switch to Boost and get two lines with three gigs of 4G LTE data per line for only $50. 
With MetroPCS, you only get two gigs per line for that same price. Plus, get up to two free LG X-Power phones. All powered by the fast and reliable Sprint Nationwide Network. Boost is the best value in wireless among national prepaid carriers. Visit a Boost mobile store today. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Offer N71017. Primary line is $50 with second line $0 per month. Requires one line to port in. Lines include unlimited talk, text, and data. Once high-speed data allotment reached, speeds reduced to 2G speeds until next plan cycle. Comparison based on Metro PCS's 2-gigabyte promo plan as of 6-12-17. Free phone requires port in and activation on $50 plans. Select models only while supplies last. Coverage and offers not available everywhere. Restrictions apply. See participating dealer for details. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Think you can't manage the down payment it takes to purchase a new home? Think again. You could move into a $150,000 home with as little as $1,500 down with our 1% down payment option. The rate today on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.875%, APR 4.12%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to quickenloans.com. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Hi, Tom Bodette. Apparently, the hip thing for businesses to do these days is target millennials. So it may sound sus coming from this baby boomer, but Motel 6 is a V-great place for your squad to stay woke or asleep. The updated rooms are hashtag blessed with contemporary floors, bedding, and flat screen TVs that are totally on fleek. Plus, their prices are always low AF. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll keep it lit for you. Book online at motel6.com. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Grasshopper. Turn your mobile phone into a business phone system with Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Get a local toll-free number. Just bring your own. See how it works? Go to Grasshopper. Well, you could say Jim Kelly started it all at the U because when Jim arrived in Miami at 1979 to play for Lou Saban, the Hurricanes hadn't been to a bowl game in 12 years. Two years later, though, Jim Kelly was the MVP of the Peach Bowl. And no surprise there, he had made an impact from the very beginning at Miami when his first star as a 19-year-old freshman when he upset Penn State 26-10. to Of course, it was long before the U would become an NFL tributary, sending 26 first-round draft picks to the NFL in the 1990s, or 10 more than any other school. Jim, of course, was a 1983 first-round draft pick of the Buffalo Bills, where he had such an accomplished NFL career, including four straight Pro Bowl, or Super Bowl appearances, sorry, that he was inducted in 2002 into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But today, he's here to talk to us about the U and how it and he all got started. So, Jim... Thanks for joining us, and get this huddle going, would you please? Oh, boy, I love it. Uh, even thinking about back in the U, even though I probably don't remember some things about that, <laughs> but I do remember back in the day where, uh, you know, Lou Saban did recruit me, but to be honest with you, the guy that got it all started was Howard Schnellenberger, and I'm so blessed that I had, you know, throughout my career, whether it was high school, college, USFL, and the NFL, I have been blessed to have great, great head football coaches, and it, you know, it definitely all started with my high school football coach, Terry Henry, who really taught me the word, uh, the words I said, work ethic. And if I wanted to make it, I had to work at it. But uh, there's no doubt that I rub it into a lot of people when I say I'm from the U. So, yeah, that was bringing back great memories. <laughs> I was a guy who, you, you were at East Brady High School outside of Pittsburgh. You were the All-State quarterback. You threw for nearly 4,000 yards and I think 44 touchdowns. You wanted to go to Penn State. Everybody out there wants to go to Penn State. But you didn't go to Penn State. You ended up at the U. How did that happen? 
be honest with you, where I'm from, uh, south side of Pittsburgh, you're either Pitt or Penn State fan. And I've always been a Penn State fan. I always loved Joe Paterno. I always wanted to play for the Nittany Lions. And I guess as, as time went on, as I continued to get older, I went to a football camp my junior, senior year in high school, thinking I showed him enough that I could play the position of quarterback. But unfortunately, well, I should say, unfortunately for Penn State, um, <laughs> You know, he recruited me as a linebacker later on. I mean, he called me and said that, uh, you know, we've already signed two All-State quarterbacks, but we'll give you uh, a scholarship as a linebacker. And, of course, first thing I did was I had three older brothers. I called my oldest brother, Pat, who played for, you know, the NFL. I didn't play a long time, but he was drafted by the Baltimore Colts, and I called him and I said, Pat, Coach Saban just called me and told me that, uh, I mean, Coach uh, uh, Paterno just called me and he told me that, uh, you know, they've already signed two All-State quarterbacks, but they'll give me a, a full ride uh, as a linebacker. What do you think I should do? And he said, brother, I have a few words of advice for you. He said, before, you know, you board those chartered flights uh, for the away games, he said, the flight attendants never want to know who the linebackers are. They always want to know who's the quarterback. And uh, I said, that's enough said. I'm a quarterback and uh, – the rest was history. I went, uh, went on to the University of Miami and uh, had a great, great time. And not a bad career. I didn't play a lot of games there, you know. But, uh, you know, the start of Howard Schnellenberger coming in, bringing a quarterback coach by the name of Earl Morrill, who really taught me the pro-style offense. So it was a blessing. Yeah, but Jim, Penn State is linebacker you. Joe thought you were a linebacker. W- what gave you the conviction to pass on Penn State? Well, I really, you know, I played linebacker in college. I mean, in high school, I really enjoyed the position. I loved hitting and not getting hit. But I knew in my heart I wanted to play quarterback. And uh, even though my brother said that, probably more as a joke than anything, that's what I wanted to do. I, I mean, I was in my backyard. I wore number 12. I, you know, put a magic marker. You know, growing up in Pittsburgh, I was a big Terry Bradshaw fan on the field. And then off the field, I, I wanted to be like Joe Namath. I think everybody wanted to be back in the, back in those days and <laughs> For me, it was fun, and uh, that's that's what my goal was. Come from a little dinky town in Pennsylvania, not sure what situation was going to be in my future, but I had big dreams, and uh, you never know. I worked hard enough, and uh, thank God it all came uh, came to the forefront, and I wound up, you know, being able to fulfill a lot of dreams. We're speaking with Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly on the Talk of Fame Network, and you can find us on the web at talkoffamenetwork.com or on Twitter at at Talk of Fame Net. And Jim, as I mentioned when I introduced you. Your first start was against Penn State. Uh, you were 19 at the time, and I, I don't think you were supposed to win that game. But when it was over, Joe Paterno came over and shook your hand. What did you say to him, or any chance you said to him, I told you so? One of those things I told you at the beginning, I don't remember a lot. <laughs> yeah. and the thing is, all I remember is my mom and my dad were there, My bro- you know, a couple of my brothers. And as a matter of fact, Coach Schnellenberger, before the game, uh, pregame meals, when it pulled me aside the night before, I should say, um, he, you know, hinted around he was going to make some changes and not knowing that that was going to be one of them was going to be me. Uh, he pulled me aside after a pregame meal and he said, son, get, get ready. You're starting today. And the first thing I did was I went to the bathroom and I threw up for about 20 minutes because, you know, I was, of course, nervous. 19-year-old playing in front of, what, 80,000, 90,000 people. My first start ever against a coach that told me I couldn't – well, I guess I wasn't good enough to, to be the quarterback that he wanted on his football team. And, Wind up going out, as you stated before, winning 26-10, and that was my start of my college career. My, As a matter of fact, my four last games of that season, my freshman year, were against Penn State, Alabama, Notre Dame, and Florida. So it was a uh, big-time welcome to the NCAA. 
uh, Miami was 93 and 92 in those next two years. And could you see what was developing at the U? And, and could you sort of ever think that they were going to end up becoming that, that program that, that, that they were for so long, producing all those great NFL players? Well, yeah, I mean, we did. They, they brought a lot of great players in. You never know. I mean, you hope that you'll be able to be a big part of changing the program around. I had so many coaches when I was – being recruited, say, oh, they're going to get rid of football. You know, it's not a great university. And I bought into what Lou Saban said. He was, you know, he was a former NFL head coach. It's what my dream was. I mean, I went down there. I was recruited, you know, heavily. First time I ever really was in Florida. Never had lobster before. And, uh, you know, they picked me up with, I think, three or four Hurricane Honeys. uh, And I go, where do I sign that? So that to me was pretty cool. Pretty good sunburn, though, not being a – you know, being Irish and being from Pennsylvania, I'd really never been to Florida. So for me, that was a, a, a great surprise, and I loved it. But more importantly for me was the pro-style offense because I continued to have a dream of playing in the NFL. Jim, your junior year, you did it again. Penn State was number one in the country. You beat them 17-14. you think Joe Paterno was getting a little tired of seeing you? <laughs> he probably did back then, but I, I got to admit, you know, you know, it just wasn't me. It was so many different players that we had. We had a good defense at the time, and um, we really didn't throw the football a lot. I mean, compared to nowadays, you have you know the the uh, not only the run and shoot that was started coming in early, you know, probably in the '90s, but the no huddle offense and different things. And now you see so much uh, of a shotgun, and everybody run that uh, different style of offense. We didn't throw the ball a lot, but we threw enough to, I guess, to convince people out there that when I was a senior and I was up for the Heisman Trophy that I might be able to do it. But, boy, I'll tell you what, that was a great time, especially beating Penn State, especially when you look back and them not want me to play there and saying I wasn't good enough. I mean, they never really came out and said that I wasn't good enough, but signing two All-State guys. And really, I think, to be honest with you, I don't think any of them really wind up playing. One turned out to be a receiver, and the other was a backup throughout his career. I've got two questions for you. One is, what do you think would have happened to Jim Kelly and also to the University of Miami if you'd gone to Penn State and played linebacker for Joe Paterno? I probably would be a businessman, uh, you know, fulfilling uh, you know, the, my degree that I had at the University of Miami. I really don't know. But, uh, you know, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. But who knows what would have happened. I think I wasn't quite fast enough. I was only like a 485 guy running to 40. I think I would have bulked up a lot. I have no idea. But you know what? Whatever it was, I would have put my heart and soul into it. There's no doubt about it. One other thing about Penn State, how much did it sort of fuel you, if at all, the, the fact that, that the place you most wanted to go said, we got two other guys in the position, you can come play something else. But did that drive you at all during those years at Miami? You know what, I, as I think back, probably did. I mean, I don't remember, but I'm sure it did because any time somebody tells you you can't do something, you want to prove them wrong, and when somebody tells you you can't, you're not good enough to play for their team, even though those weren't the exact words, I think you want to prove to them that you were good enough, that you can do it, you can beat them, and that's what we did. And I'm sure I had a little chip on my shoulders, no doubt about it, but that's how I was brought up. I had, you know, had a great father that always pushed us and said, if you want something, you got to work at it. And even though you might not have some of the abilities they have, it's your heart and your Kelly and keep fighting. I looked up on YouTube uh, that hand, that the end of that first game when you beat Penn State and the handshake was there. 
It wasn't the most robust handshake from uh, from you that I've ever seen <laughs> with Paterno. It was like you were slapping him on the back. It was pretty funny. I don't even remember. And to be honest with you, I didn't. I, I don't know if I've ever seen it. So I might have. Why is it on YouTube? Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Just if you if you uh, Google the game, it shows up. And at the end, he comes up to you, sort of sticks his hand out, and you were kind of shook his hand, but it looked like you were looking around for like anybody here that I actually like. It was pretty funny. No, I was probably looking for my brothers. I'm sure they were, you know, jumping onto the field. How much fun was it playing in the USFL? It was awesome. I mean, we were just talking about this the other day. They're doing uh, the football life on me uh, oh, this cool. year, and we just did a thing. And I was talking about that, and you know, it, it was it was so much fun. It's really where I learned the passing game because you know, my two years in the in the uh, at the U, I didn't really throw a lot. I mean, we did, but we didn't. And I only really played two and a half years, so. I really learned the passing game with Miles Davis doing the run and shoot offense. But to be honest with you, I had nothing growing up. And all of a sudden, I'm, they give me all this money. I had three of my brothers move in with me down to, you know, in Houston, first beautiful home we've ever owned. I took care of my brothers, took care of my, you know, my mom and dad. And I, you know, invested my money very, very smartly. And I had smart brothers around me. We, even though we did have a, a blast, um, you know what? It was really where I learned the game of football. What were you thinking during that the comeback game against Houston when you were watching and Frank Reich was on the field? What were you thinking as that whole game was going on? Are we really getting our butt whooped this bad? <laughs> and then when we went into the locker room, you, you never, I mean, as a quarterback, you never think that you're out of a game. I mean, yeah, there are times if you're really, like, say, when we played the Raiders, we were up 41-3 to three or something like that at halftime. We want to be, yeah, you might think hey, you still want to, you know, continue that streak and get embarrassed so bad. But the thing is, for us, for me personally, Frank and I are, were like brothers anyways. I pulled for him like he pulled for me when we played, and uh, it was awesome. I had so much fun because sometimes, you know, you need that break. Even though the break was us coming back from a, a deficit like we did 35-3 to down out in the third quarter and we coming back, it was awesome, because I, I, I think me, Thurman, and Cornelius Bennett, three of us didn't play in that game. And to see us come back, it just shows uh, the heart and soul of the Buffalo Bills, not only in that game, but what we did throughout, you know, when I was there in the four Super Bowl runs. Never gave up and really uh, enjoyed, even though we didn't win. I thought by us not winning, I think it brought our team even closer. Hey, Jim, we've got about a minute left, but I wanted to ask you about being that the first-round draft pick in 1983. I mean, after then, you, you began a parade of All-American quarterbacks to Miami, Bernie Kosar, Testaverde, Walsh, Erickson, Gino Toretta. Do you take some pride in being the first and, and the one who got the U started? Yeah, I do, because I understand what the University of Miami is all about. They, they call quarterback U. I recruited Vinny and Bernie the same year, told them both they have a good chance of starting like anybody would do, trying to get top quarterbacks there. But uh, yeah, I do, and, and you know, I spent some time with Bernie and Vinny, and I, I don't, I'm not there a lot as far as around those guys. But when we do, we reminisce about the good old days, have a little fun. But uh, yeah, because I always go around, I, everywhere I go, where there's somebody from the U, we take a picture. It's all about the U, and when I sign a, whether it's a helmet, a football, whatever, if it has the U on it, I put it's all about the U. <laughs> Hey, Jim, thanks so much for the time, and thanks for reliving the good old days for us. My pleasure, guys. Y'all have a good time. Uh, and, again, I have to say, it's all about you guys. So <laughs> take care of yourself, and have a good 2017. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, thanks, thanks Jim. Jim.
This is the Talk of Fame Network. Introducing the new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. It's a mix of hand-spun vanilla-flavored soft serve, tasty bits of Lucky Charm cereal, and memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons in your PJs. The new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. Relive your childhood in a cup. Maybe it's the magical marshmallow pieces flying up your straw. Maybe it's the magically delicious taste. Whatever the reason, it's a good reason to head over to a Burger King restaurant and try one now. Only at Burger King. Also, try the Fruit Loop Shake now at Burger King. Shakes available for a limited time only. Participation varies. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. Well, we're almost through the first half with our new format. And guys, let me ask you, you know what this sound means? That's the two-minute warning. Yes, sir. It's Mike Pereira on the two-minute warning. Goose, you have this week's two-minute drill brought to you by Burger King, home with Burger King breakfast. So, Goose Man, let's get going. Let's go into Burger King. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Austin Davis, or Colin Kaepernick? Austin Powers doesn't throw interceptions, and it's 3-0 versus Dr. Evil. A Harvard-educated armors rifle like Fitzpatrick packs more firepower than two guys combined. As Brian is trying to recruit Daryl Rivas as a teammate this offseason, is Dallas up big enough for those two egos? No, sir, Goose. It's not big enough for Jerry Jones's ego. Yosemite is not big enough for those two egos, Goose. Speaking of the Cowboys, who has the better sophomore season, Dak Prescott or Carson Wentz? Prescott. That's because, Goose, he'll win at least four games. Dak. As Stuart Starkway put it, he's as cool as the other side of the pillow, and I like cool over hot and cold. Detroit left tackle Taylor Decker suffered a torn labrum and OTAs that is expected to sideline him for up to six months. So remind me again, what's the point of football in June? Well, Goose, because I'm in San Diego, I'll tell you this. It keeps us from watching the Padres. Goose, you remind me how he got that happening to him if there's no contact. Did he pancake himself? Green Bay coach Mike McCarthy has excused his vets of six or more seasons from attending the club's mandatory minicamp. Does that make him the early frontrunner for NFL Coach of the Year? It does if vets of six or more seasons are doing the voting. No, it makes him the co-leader for Humanitarian of the Year, just ask Taylor Decker. Jeremy Macklin signed with Baltimore this week. Can the Ravens now start printing up playoff tickets? Yes, sirree, and they can mail them to Pittsburgh. I can think of no reason why signing Jeremy Macklin would inspire you to start printing anything but agate in the transaction. Patrick Peterson, Adrian Peterson, or Norm Peterson? Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Wow. Patrick Peterson, he can still play, but hopefully not as a punt returner. Well, that is the end of the first half, but don't go anywhere. We have John Clayton and Steelers linebacker James Harrison coming up in the second hour. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. This is Mike Pereira of Fox Sports. When you want the right call, do what I do. Listen to the Talk of Fame Network. Nothing grows like weeds, except maybe weeds. And nothing kills them quite like Roundup Weed and Grass Killer from the Home Depot. Right now, the one-gallon ready-to-use size is a special buy at just eight ninety-seven. Roundup kills fast. At the root, you can see results in just three hours. They may grow like weeds, but you can stop them even faster. Roundup Weed and Grass Killer. One gallon ready to use. Now just $8.97. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. 
valid through July 5th. Welcome to Geico's Motorcycle Meanderings. Oh man, this is great. I sure saved a lot of money by switching to Geico. Scored some big savings and now I can use their mobile app 24-7 for all sorts of stuff. Life just makes sense now. You know what doesn't make sense? If a car is called a horseless carriage, why isn't a motorcycle called a horseless horse? Hmm. Maybe it would just be adding insult to injury for the out-of-work horses. Geico Motorcycle. Savings that make sense. Hi, Tom Bodette, trying to align my chakras around this hot yoga thing. Yep, they finally found a way to make working out even more uncomfortable. Well, at least with Motel 6, you've got one less thing to sweat. They've got clean, comfortable, and now completely updated rooms at a great low price. So the only thing you're stretching is your dollar. Sounds like my kind of place to namaste. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light and the AC on for you. Book online at motel6.com. Introducing the new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. It's a mix of hand-spun vanilla-flavored soft serve, tasty bits of Lucky Charm cereal, and memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons in your PJs. The new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. Relive your childhood in a cup. Maybe it's the magical marshmallow pieces flying up your straw. Maybe it's the magically delicious taste. Whatever the reason, it's a good reason to head over to a Burger King restaurant and try one now. Only at Burger King. Also, try the Fruit Loop Shake now at Burger King. Shakes available for a limited time only. Participation varies. Welcome to the Talk of Fame Network. I've got a good deal on those boys. The scout said they showed a lot of promise. With your Hall of Fame voters. Don't act like you're not addressed. Ron Borges. You want to punch me right now, but you won't. Rick Gosselin. I don't know what we're yelling about! And Clark Judge. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Vacation's all we ever wanted, right, Ron? You get that right. Where are you? It sounds as if you've already started your vacation. Where are you? I'm at the I'm at the Travelers Golf Tournament down in Connecticut, watching Jordan Spieth doing his thing and uh, waiting to grab my clubs and go on vacation too. Wow, Gooseman. Sounds like uh, Ron has a head start on us. Uh, maybe he's at the first tee. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's at the ninth hole. I'm not sure. Goose, where are you going Got on it. your vacation? <laughs> Well, I'm going to spend some time in Chicago. You know, summer is the time to go north, get out of that Texas heat. I love Texas, but not in July and August. You going to a Cubs game? Probably not. Ron, I said 17th <laughs> hole. Are you on the 17th hole? No, the 19th hole, I said. You're on the 19th hole? Exactly right. 19th hole, that's the, the best hole for me. It's wet there, <laughs> but we're happy about it. There you go. Well, I'm happy about being on vacation, too. I'm off to Maine and Canada. Maybe see a Sea Dogs game in Portland. Uh, maybe get over to Quebec. Love that uh, Quebec City. Maybe, Ron, get over to your place. Okay. Uh, Come on Maybe Sea Dogs in Quebec. You'll be at another golf tournament. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're gone, in case you haven't noticed. We are gone. We're on vacation. But our show and our guests, well, they're not. In fact, as we've done the past two years while we're away, we let our best of series play. And this time, it's quarterbacks running backs and wide receivers who are going to do the talking while we're away. And there are plenty of them. In fact, you're going to get eight of them each week. And, Ron, you got to trust us. They're good, right? They're good. They're noteworthy. And they're worth a second oh, listen, right? Right. They're, they're all worth a second listen. And the, and the beauty of the second listen is, is you don't have to listen to us babbling in between. <laughs> so it's pretty good. You just get great uh, athletes telling stories. That's right. Hey, Ron, I'd watch that hook to the left. Watch that, would you please? Stay clear of the trees. Hey, in, in, in case you're interested, and I am certain you are, we get back. Uh, 
Goose, wh when do we get back, Goose? The first show of season four is Wednesday, July 26th, and we've got Falcons coach Dan Quinn, NFL oh. MVP Matt Ryan lined up to talk about any potential Super Bowl hangover by the Falcons. Well, July 26th, that's the week before the 2017 Hall of Fame induction. Hey, is that when we get Jerry and Jimmy on pay-per-view? Of course, Jerry Jones will be there. So will Kurt Warner, LT, Morton Anderson, Ken Easley, Terrell Davis, Jason Taylor. You know, we will be too. But that's, that's in us. the future. Right now, we're on vacation. Catch you down the road, guys. See ya. This is Greg Olson, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant and I get one of this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. Our next guest is one of the most decorated quarterbacks in football history with a Heisman Trophy and busts in both the college and football, pro football Halls of Fame. But not only is Roger Staubach among the most decorated quarterbacks, He's one of the most successful, too, winning 74.5% of his starts in an 11-year NFL career with the Cowboys, which puts him third all-time behind Otto Graham and Tom Brady. Roger took the Cowboys to five Super Bowls in the 1970s, winning two of them on his way to first team, all NFL, all decade acclaim. And my mind, more importantly, he sent me an autographed photo when I wrote him at the Naval Academy in 1963. And that photo hangs in my office. Roger, thanks for joining us. Well, it's uh, great to be on the show, Clark. Roger, we talk about your winning percentage. We talk about the Super Bowls. When we do, we are measuring you and your success as a quarterback. How do you measure quarterbacks? Well, uh, I, 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 obviously, there's got to be a there's a you know physical component to being a quarterback, and uh, but there's a I think the mental aspect of is is uh, is just as important. I mean, obviously, if you have the mental without the physical, you're in trouble and vice versa so i really believe that the the physical and, and physical you know goes a lot of different ways you don't have to be six six or you don't you know, there's certain things you can do physically uh and you you know your you know your release of throwing the ball uh, you got to get it out there quick but you don't have to throw it exactly like somebody else but the mental part is is really critical you you have got to truly transfer your confidence that you have that you must have as a quarterback but even more importantly, you got to transfer that confidence to your teammates because you can't do it by yourself. A quarterback is is a leader and is a very important part of the <laughs> of the offense, but you still need uh, some awfully good linemen and a, a few other skilled players to to make it work. But you 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 as a have to have as a good quarter a great quarterback has confidence in themselves. But the most important thing is being able to transfer that, as I mentioned to your teammates and uh and if if you can do that they'll they won't let you down and they'll give you 100 percent all the time and and that's what you need you need your your team functioning at a high level all the time and you're going to win your share of games if you do that well roger when you talk about quarterbacks you know you hear all these different things his arm strength or his accuracy or his toughness you know his leadership uh, in your mind what's the most important trait for a quarterback assuming he has the minimal sort of arm strength well, the the the, uh, the arm strength uh, in, in college is is different. 
you know, you have an arm strength is important. I mean, you know, it's nice to have a lot of arm strength, but if you don't, you can pick on certain players in college. And, you know, with good coaches and good teams, you can, you know, pick on the weak parts of the defense and, and uh, you know, be successful and, and really be a very good college quarterback with an average arm. In the NFL, you definitely have to have a more of an arm strength. You're, you, there's not really a weak player over there, and you're, you're throwing between players, and you got to get the ball. Uh, and if you know, especially if you have your release, if you, you know, if you do a little hitch in your relief, you can make up for it in, in velocity. So you've got to get it out there is is uh, quicker in the in the NFL, especially and. The the other part of it is, uh, you know, you, you have to be accurate when you do that. And that's what the real, I mean, if you go back to Joe Montana and everything, you know, Joe's arm strength was, was really, it was good, but he was very accurate when he threw the ball too. And so, you know, you can make up sometimes for great arm strength with accuracy, but if you have both, if you have the arm strength, and the accuracy, you're going to be successful. And you need you need a little. You definitely need if you have a lot of both, you're going to it's better. But you can still be a great quarterback uh, having having arm strength uh, that is that is good. But your accuracy is is outstanding, and that uh, that can get the job done. Well, speaking of accuracy, we're talking to one of the most accurate quarterbacks in NFL history. It's Hall of Famer Roger Staubach, and Roger. Let me take you back in time, back to the Naval Academy. When you left there, you faced a four-year military commitment, yet the Cowboys drafted you. When you went to Vietnam in 1965, was one day playing in the NFL still a goal, or was it just a dream of yours? Well, I was drafted in uh, 1963 when we had a great – I had spent one year in junior college, so I was eligible for the draft, and and so I was drafted by Dallas and Kansas City, and uh, – and I really wasn't thinking about it. Uh, I finished my senior year. I, I was hurt a lot of my senior year, and but I played in the college all-star game, and um, the you know the they, they both Kansas City and Dallas were up there with scouts, and they they knew that I I did have the arm strength to be in the NFL, and I could. But I was more noted. You know, my running was <laughs> paid a big part of my college life, but I but I still threw a lot. And so that 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 helped because both teams wanted me to sign with them that if I ever played again, if I ever decided to play, I would play for them. So I did commit to Dallas. So in the service, Dallas stayed in touch with me. Gil Brandt was always <laughs> staying in touch. And I, I took two weeks of uh, training camp uh, after I got back from Vietnam, and I went to the Cowboy training camp and had a good two weeks. And that's the first time, it was probably a year before I got out of the service, that I knew I was going to give a give a go at playing professional football so it was at the uh towards the end of my my four-year commitment that i realized that i could play i could play in the nfl and that i, I was gonna uh i made the commitment that i was going to play after my my last uh, year of my four-year commitment roger how did having tom landry as a coach influence your development as an nfl quarterback well, well, Coach Landry was, you know, uh, was he, he was an industrial engineer. You know, he had goals outstanding, reasonable, believable, achievable. They were measured. So he, his preparation was phenomenal, and he taught me a lot about preparation. I, I was a running kind of quarterback, even in the NFL, and Coach Landry uh, wasn't crazy about that. He, as an engineer, he said, hey, you drop back, and here's what you do. You execute, and, you, you know, you read your keys, you need to do this, and, well, sometimes, you know, that didn't work, so I ran more. So he put up with my running, and uh, 
I learned a lot from from him as far as preparation and uh, and, and reading keys on. He he was he was a master at at, at keying the defense and looking at the weak safety. The weak safety, the strong if the weak safety go if, if middle linebacker goes weak, strong safety weak safety goes strong. Throw to the uh, you know to the to the other side, and so we 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 had these different keys all the time, and so. He really taught me um, a lot about preparation and, and reading defenses, and and I taught him that quarterbacks could run and make first downs also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Steelers of the 1970s, Roger, had nine players in the hall, and, and they're labeled as the team of the decade. But how do you think history would have viewed uh, your Cowboys had they been able to win one or, or both of those two evenly matched Super Bowls that you have with the Steelers. Well, I would I would be more popular than Joe Montana or Terry Bradshaw. Or, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 in there somewhere because I was on a great football team with Coach Landry. We we never had a losing season in my 11 years, and we won a lot of games. But the Steelers were. Uh, I I I really believe the Steelers should go down in history as one of the. I mean, right in the top couple of the greatest teams in the, the, the NFL in the 70s they really got it together they got a fantastic quarterback in Bradshaw they had a, a fantastic middle linebacker in Lambert so both sides of the ball they 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 had great players but they had leadership on both sides you know and you know Franco was over there and on, on offense and Swan and Stallworth and on defense you had Mean Joe and uh, e. Blunt and Man Lambert and all, so so we we kind of in '75 we were a wild card team. We we actually overachieved that year and we gave the Steelers all they could handle, 21 to 17. But the second time we played them, we had Tony Hill, Dorsett, added that to Drew Pearson and everybody else and all the great the great defense we had. And that was the roughest game. If we win that game, we we would have more Dallas players in the Hall of Fame. And uh, but the Steelers won that game. They beat us. They were a great team, and uh, so they got the kind of the the team of the '70s. But we 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 won more games overall. <laughs> so I, I'm going to defend our, ourselves. But we 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 lost. Uh, two Super Bowls to a really, really good football team. Well, Roger, this has been a really, really good time talking to you. We were out of it, unfortunately, but thanks so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck going forward. Well, thank you. I'm sorry for my long answers there. <laughs> Those were perfect. We love them. Thanks, Roger. That was Hall of Fame quarterback Roger Staubach. Up next, Ron will tell us why former wide receiver Henry Eller deserves more from the Hall. This is the Talk of Fame Network. Talk of Fame Network is also brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Hi, this is Terrell Davis. You're listening to Rick, Ron, and Clark on the Talk of Fame Network. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant sandwich deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant sandwich. You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant sandwich, and I get one of this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant sandwich deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwich sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. Just a reminder, the Talk of Fame Network is sponsored by GEICO. With just 15 minutes, can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to GEICO.com. 
You know something? Probably should have gone 15 minutes ago. Our next guest is one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, and now, now he's one of the most notable Hall of Fame voters in Canton history. I'm talking about former Chargers quarterback Dan Fouts, who of course is a Hall of Famer. In fact, he was the first ballot Hall of Famer. But who, along with former wide receiver James Lofton, now joins the room as one of 48 voters for the class of 2017. First of all, Dan, thanks for joining us. And second, welcome to the club. Well, thank you, Clark. Uh, it's a real honor to be in the room with you guys. Um, James and I were lucky enough last year to sit in and observe what was going on, and uh, it was very enlightening, eye-opening, and um, uh, thrilling to be a part of uh, something that's so important. Well, Dan, before we get started, I want to ask you about something that's a little bit eye-opening, and that's uh, something that happened last week. You and I talked about it on the phone. And that's the Chargers leaving San Diego. Uh, you said then it, it felt like a punch in the stomach. What does it feel like now, and, and who or what, at least in your mind, is to blame for the team leaving? Well, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around, and uh, it's done. So what's the sense of, of uh, rehashing uh, the city's involvement and the ownership of the Chargers' involvement? It's just, to me, it's, it's just so unbelievable to have such a – uh, you know, of course, for me, uh, I, I'm biased, and I spent 15 years there uh, and, and really went through a lot of rough times, as you know, Clark. But the fans in the city of San Diego, the feeling was always that we were part of them, and they were sticking with us, and we were going to get it done, and they were going to be there with us. And now for it all to be totally gone and never to come back, uh, it's mind-boggling to me. I just, I, I don't think I'll ever get over it. Um, it's, you know, I've told somebody that it's like a death in the family. I don't think I'd go that far, but it's darn close. Dan, what was the best part of playing in San Diego? The weather. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the media. <laughs> that was a close fifth, yes. Yeah. Right. I'm wondering about your evaluations, Dan, of this year's class. <clears throat> it was obvious how seriously you, you were taking it last year when you were just an observer, and you mentioned that uh, you were going to try to pull Hall of Famers before you uh, went to them this year. And just wonder just what your general take is on uh, the evaluation of this year's class of candidates. Well, yeah, last year uh, when they announced at the State of the Hall that James and I would be selectors, I, I turned to the members of the Hall that were in the room, and there were quite a few, and I, and I just said to them, I said, you now have a voice, and I will be polling you. Uh, if you want to participate, great. If you don't, that's fine, too. But I want you to at least have some input. And I've been receiving uh, quite a bit of input from uh, members of the hall. And it's interesting. It, it really uh, is. And, uh, you know, there, there's some guys that are, are uh, totally for the guys they played with or played against. And then there's some guys that really uh, give it a, a more of a broader look uh, as far as the future and the past of the Hall of Fame is concerned. So... Uh, this is an interesting class when you when you look at the you know the number of offensive linemen and the number of defensive backs. I don't think we've ever you know you guys would know, uh, but has there ever been this type of of uh, ratio, uh, if you will, in the in the uh, Hall of Fame inductees? You mean in terms of offense versus defense? No, in terms of so many offensive linemen and so many defensive yeah. backs and yeah. uh, just one quarterback, uh, a couple of running backs, and a, and a couple of wide receivers. It just to me, it seems uh, uh, unusual, and there's only one coach here, 
So, you know, it, it's, uh, I'm sure there'll be some really great debate. Yeah, oh yeah, and that's why we think it's a wide-open class. Uh, we're, we're speaking with Hall of Fame inductee, and now, of course, voter, Dan Fouts on the Talk of Fame Network. You can find us at talkoffamenetwork.com. Um, and Dan, in a little over two weeks, you're going to be in that room with Rick, Ron, and me, and Ron's going to present Kenny Easley as a senior candidate. Now, you played against him. What do you remember about him, and were you surprised to see his name on a list when he's never been a finalist or a semifinalist for the Hall before? Uh, to answer the second part of your question, yes, I was surprised. Uh, just because when I think of senior candidates, I think of guys that, you know, like you say, have been finalists or members of all-decade teams uh, or, or just plain older. Uh, but having played against Kenny, I can tell you that I always thought of him as a real pain, and, <laughs> and that's compliment uh, from a quarterback. Uh, he was very smart. Uh, he had great range, uh, great instincts, and he made plays. Uh, big hitter, big safety, uh, and all those things. So I knew at the time that um, he was somebody that I had to concern myself with if I was going to be throwing the ball over the middle or even down the sidelines because of his range. How much stock do you put in longevity? I put more than you think. Okay. Because it is... It, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's a physical grind. It's a mental grind. And the, the ironic thing, I always looked at it this way, Clark. It's like the scales of justice. When you start out, the one side is loaded down with talent. But on the other side, you've got no idea what to do. And the more you play, the more it evens out. And then when you're at the end of your, uh, end of your rope, you're loaded down with how to do it, but your talent's gone. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, you won't got, remember, we, Dan, You won't remember this, but many years ago, when I was covering the Raiders, I was interviewing you uh, before one of the games of Tennessee, and I asked you what it was like to be a rookie quarterback in the NFL. And you always told me the greatest thing that's ever been told me. You said it's like sticking your head inside a inside a popcorn making machine. <laughs> boom, bang, boom. <laughs> I've never forgot that, and it just always sort of struck me that. You know, that interesting sort of juxtaply between you got all this talent, but you don't know what you're doing, and then you know what you're doing, but your talent is kind of dissipated. So it's Yeah, so in that respect, I, I put the longevity thing is really important, and how a guy finishes career is really important, too. Yeah, I mean, we've got three guys here whose careers were ended after seven years because of injuries, and their point is, hey, listen, I didn't have anything to do with it. I was at the top of my game, and, you know, the game got taken away from me. I didn't have any choice there. I think that's going to be interesting with Davis, Baselli, and, and frankly, Easley. Yeah, no question. Um, great players for a short time. The, the other thing is is that now players are playing and getting better treatment and better surgeries and, and playing longer. So, And they're sometimes better protected, especially the quarterback position. Dan, you played with a Hall of Fame receiver, Charlie Joyner, and you played with two pretty good other ones in Wes Chandler and uh, John Jefferson. How do Owens and Bruce compare to those guys? Oh, that's 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 tough for me to compare my guys, you know, to really anybody. Uh, you know, Bruce probably is most similar to, uh, you know, maybe JJ or uh, Wes Chandler. Uh, I don't think anybody compares with Terrell Owens uh, because of his size and and what he presented to the defense. Maybe uh, Kellen Winslow would would be a better analogy there. Uh, but uh, you know. I know the debate because I was in the room last year on on Owens, and I know it'll be a, a lively one again. 
his numbers tell me he's a Hall of Famer, but the intangibles tell me um, not so fast. And it's interesting, uh, when I am able to uh, address Owens, if I am, and I'll be able to tell you what the Hall of Famers think. And I think that's the real value of having James and myself in the room is that we can add just another little twist to the debates. Your coach, of course, Don Coriella, is uh, the only coach on the list this year. I'm sure that puts you in, in a, uh, not a difficult spot because you've spoken to us before about your feelings about him. But if people looking from the outside <clears throat> look at uh, somebody like Tom Flores and say two Super Bowls, or they look at uh, Jimmy Johnson, or they look even, uh, some people even look at George Seifert and say, how do you got to have a guy in there who never won uh, even a conference championship, and you've got multiple Super Bowl winners who have never been in the in the room. How do you sort of evaluate those two situations uh, as you think of Coriel's candidacy? Well, I think in 20 years from now, you're going to have multiple coaches with multiple Super Bowl wins, but you'll only have one Don Coriel. Uh, you only have one guy that uh, literally changed the game, uh, and you can go right back to when he first started in San Diego as to his contributions, and you guys are well aware of, of all of them. So, you know, I think that Flores and Seifert and Johnson are at this point, uh, you know, worthy of the Hall of Fame. But I think in 20 years from now, there'll be about five or six other guys that you could say the same thing about. But if you think about Coriel, you will never, ever forget him and his teams. Dan, I want to go back to uh, something you mentioned earlier. And, and that said, you said that you and James could add a twist to the debate. How vocal do you think you're going to be here? I mean, last year you had to sit and watch and observe. This time you got a chance to speak. How vocal do you think you're going to be? Well, I anticipate uh, being asked uh, my opinion. And, you know, because I've, I'm polling uh, some of the Hall of Famers that want to contribute, I'm sure that there'll be guys, and you guys will want to know, hey, what do, you, what do the Hall of Famers think? And I think that's the real value of being in the room is to just give – the members' uh, voice, and, and also to hear their side of the story on each guy. Dan, is Kurt Warner a Hall of Famer? I, I think that's going to be an interesting debate because it, it's similar to uh, the Coriel argument against Super Bowl winners. Um, I mean, Jim Plunkett, uh, his story uh, rivals that of, of Kurt Warner's in a way, uh, you know, the ups and downs. But, you know, Plunkett's got two Super Bowls. Uh, Kurt has one. So it, it, it goes back to that. I mean, the, the Warner story is fantastic. Uh, and so I think for that reason, uh, everybody likes a good story, and, and he certainly is worthy of being in the Hall of Fame because of it. Hey, Dan, as always, thanks for the help. And you know what? We're going to see you in Houston. Look forward to it. My pleasure, guys. I can't wait to see you all. Thanks. thanks. That was Hall of Fame quarterback and now voter Dan Fouts. Gooseman, you like having Hall of Fame players in the room as voters now? Yeah, initially I had reservations, but I think the more I think about it, the more I like it. And I hope they rotate these guys in and, and get other Hall of Fame, maybe give them two-year terms, let other guys sit in the room and actually see how the process works. I think there'd be less complaining then. Okay. Well, this is the Talk of Fame Network. Now, the reminder that the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to Geico. Hey, this is Vince Papawi from Invincible, and you're listening to the Talk of Fame Network, an Invincible team for sure.
Introducing the new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. It's a mix of hand-spun vanilla-flavored soft serve, tasty bits of Lucky Charm cereal, and memories of watching Saturday morning cartoons in your PJs. The new Lucky Charm Shake at Burger King. Relive your childhood in a cup. Maybe it's the magical marshmallow pieces flying up your straw. Maybe it's the magically delicious taste. Whatever the reason, it's a good reason to head over to a Burger King restaurant and try one now. Only at Burger King. Also, try the Fruit Loop Shake now at Burger King. Shakes available for a limited time only. Participation varies. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Every day people ask me, can I still take advantage of today's low rates? Is it still a good time to refinance? The answer is yes. Now's a great time to call Quicken Loans at 800-QUICKEN. The rate today on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.875%, APR 4.12%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to quickenloans.com. That's 800-QUICKEN. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Hi, Tom Bodette, trying to align my chakras around this hot yoga thing. Yeah, they finally found a way to make working out even more uncomfortable. Well, at least with Motel 6, you've got one less thing to sweat. They've got clean, comfortable, and now completely updated rooms at a great low price. So the only thing you're stretching is your dollar. Sounds like my kind of place to namaste. I'm Tom Bodette, and we'll leave the light and the A.C. on for you. Book online at motel6.com. Hey, it's Steve. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm protesting the high price of my mobile plan. Metro PCS must think I'm an ATM, but I'm not. Do I look like an ATM? More like Steve TM. Switch to Boost and get two lines with three gigs of 4G LTE data per line for only $50. With Metro PCS, you only get two gigs per line for that same price. Plus, get up to two free LG X Power phones. All powered by the fast and reliable Sprint Nationwide Network. Boost is the best value in wireless among national prepaid carriers. Visit a Boost mobile store today. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Offer ends 71017. Primary line is $50 with second line $0 per month. Requires one line to port in. Lines include unlimited talk, text, and data. Once high-speed data allotment reached, speeds reduced to 2G speeds until next plan cycle. Comparison based on Metro PCS's 2-gigabyte promo plan as of 6-12-17. Free phone requires port in and activation on $50 plans. Select models only while supplies last. Coverage and offers not available everywhere. Restrictions apply. See participating dealer for details. Progressive presents Mind Flowness with Flow. You feel an overwhelming sense of calm in 3, 2, 1. Your home and auto insurance is bundled like a baby in a warm, buttered blanket. The money you save rains gently down upon you. In bills, not in coins, because that would probably hurt. Worries drift away when you bundle home and auto insurance with Progressive. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges, Rick Gosselin, and Clark Judge. For our next guest, quarterback teams to championship games in two leagues. The Canadian Football League, that's the CFL, and the NFL. Throwing a couple Cotton Bowl appearances at Notre Dame. And Joe Theismann had one terrific run as a quarterback. He split those Cotton Bowl appearances against Texas, lost that great cup with the Toronto Argos, but won a Super Bowl with the Washington Redskins. He was the NFL MVP in 1983, was selected as one of the 70 greatest Redskins of all time, and now, best of all, 
He's with us. Joe Theismann, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Joe, your time in the CFL intrigues me. You've, you finished second in the Heisman balloting in 1970 to Plunkett. Then he gets drafted first overall in the 1971 draft, and you slide all the way to the fourth round to the Miami Dolphins. Then you opted to sign with the Argonauts instead of the Dolphins. Why? First of all, I wasn't the biggest guy in the world coming out of school. As a matter of fact, I laugh today when I look at what prototypes they're looking for at the quarterback position today. I think I wouldn't have even gotten an invite to a combine or possibly even a workout. But I think it was just my size that everybody was curious about. I, I never, you know, in the national football, I played 15 years of professional football. I never weighed more than 185 pounds. So when I came out of college, I was, you know, 175, 177, and uh, just a shake under six feet. So my size was an issue. My durability, I think, was a question. And one of the funniest things that happened to me was um, Pete Redslaff was the general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, and I met him at a dinner in Chicago. I'm sorry, in Philadelphia. And um, he he asked me how tall I was. You know, I thought maybe I'd like to play maybe for the Giants or the Eagles, someplace close to home in Jersey. He said, how tall are you? I said, I'm just about six feet. He says, you look 5'10". Uh, what do you weigh? He said, about 180 pounds. He says, you look 160, and turned and walked away. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to be drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. That's not going to happen. man. <laughs> but I, I wound up going to Canada. I flown down to Miami. The Miami drafted me with their third pick. They had to give up their first-round pick to Baltimore when Don Shula left to go coach the Dolphins. And I actually did not negotiate my contract with Mr. Thomas, who was the general manager. I did it with Mr. Robbie because Joe Thomas was having open-heart surgery. And I sat across from Mr. Robbie, and he said, what do you want? I said, I want um, $35,000, and a $35,000 signing bonus. He said, you got it. And I thought, that's not the way these things are supposed to work. <laughs> There's supposed to be some rhetoric. We're supposed to have some conversation. I'm supposed to say no. You're supposed to say no. I'm supposed to say yes. You but anyway, so I go on Miami Dol- I go on Miami TV and say, come heck or high water, I'll be in Miami Dolphin. And then they put a clause in my contract that said I'd broken the, the Bowman's bonus down into 12, 12, and 11, three separate years over the length of the contract. And they had me paying back the bonus in the third year and the second year if I didn't show up uh, on the team. And I said, that's just wrong. And so I went through this hassle myself. I did not have an agent, which was my first mistake. I got emotionally involved. And I stayed in contact with um, – our coach Leo Cahill with the Toronto Argonauts all through his drive from Toronto to Florida on vacation. And finally I flew to Toronto. I met with Mr. John Bassett senior up there. And I said, is your offer still on the table? And it was 50, 50, 50, 50 us dollars. Not that the money was that much of a difference. And then he said to me, he gave me an ultimatum. He said, if you leave this country and you don't sign this contract offers off the table, I signed the contract. I said, please allow me to call coach you. When I get back to the United States and tell them what I've done, well, I land in the U.S. the next morning. Eric Varsigian, my coach at Notre Dame, was sort of my quote-unquote consultant, whom I never consulted. And he <laughs> said to me, he said, um, what in heaven's name have you done? I, just signed, I said, I signed with the Argonauts. He said, I know. I just got off the phone with Coach Shule, and he's on his way up here to South Bend right now. And Don flew up and read me a riot act. You had a moral obligation to be a Miami Dolphin and this and that. And I said, well, you had a moral obligation not to screw up my contract. They ultimately relented on the, the bonus aspect of it. But I got disillusioned with the process. So I wound up going to Toronto, and, and we had an unbelievable experience our first year going to a Grey Cup. I broke, my, I broke my right leg only one bone my second year. 
And then my third year, I was fully prepared to stay in the Canadian Football League, but they got into a um, thing where they wanted to not pay the salaries that we see today. So I was lucky enough to come back to the United States. When you came back after those three years, Joe, uh, the Redskins had traded a first-round pick to Miami to get your rights. But that first year, as I recall, you had more punt returns than passes, your rookie season. Uh, and then you had to wait three more years before you finally got your shot uh, and replaced Bill Kilmer. Sort of a two-part question. Is your path one that you'd recommend to a young quarterback today? And how did you cope with it all? I wouldn't necessarily recommend taking that many years to get ready to play. <laughs> Although Kirk Cousins, our guy in Washington, D.C., has sat four, actually three, and then had a chance to be able to play last year. And uh, now I think he's you know fully vested as far as being able to play the position and understanding what's going on. I think we force young guys into the game before they're really ready. Colleges don't necessarily prepare them for the professional game because there's so many elements to it. There's the preparation of the mental part of it as well as taking care of your body, you know, adjusting to time schedules, have, being on your own time schedule. So much more is required of you. I mean, you're talking literally anywhere between two and 300 plays per week that you're responsible for, whether it be through communication or signaling. There are a lot of adjustments going on. The speed of the game is so different. To really give yourself a chance and the team to benefit from a young player you almost have to give them an opportunity to be able to grow into it for at least a year, maybe two. Then I think you'll get a better product. We see a lot of young guys. Joey Harrington up in Detroit just got eaten up by this game. We see a lot of guys because of the demands on the position at quarterback, which, by the way, is the toughest position to play in professional sports. Uh, they're just not ready for it mentally and physically. It's a demanding game. And and so you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend – that it go that way. I just wanted to play football. I actually returned punts my first seven games at, at the University of Notre Dame. So it wasn't an unfamiliar position for me. I used to catch punts in the Canadian Football League in the end zone and punt them out to protect against the single or as they refer to it, the rouge. So punt returning was a part of my life. And I, I saw an opportunity with the Redskins. I wanted to be actively involved. I was running the scout team. I ran wide receiver. I ran running back. Then I started catching punts, and then we were playing the Giants, and um, we had a kick returner by the name of Herb Mulkey that George Allen found in one of his many tryout camps. 600 players, he found one guy. And then Kenny Houston, our Hall of Fame safety, did it, and both of them got hurt. So I walked up to George, and I said, Kenny's hurt. You want me to go in? So he says, go ahead. He waves me going in. He turns to Paul Lanham, our special teams coach. He says, where's he going? He said, you sent him in to return the punt. He said, the heck I did. Get him off the field. <laughs> Once I crossed that white line, I wasn't turning around. And George was the kind of guy, if you could prove something to him, he let you do it. So for 1974 and 1975, I had the good fortune to, earn, uh, to return punts. I believe there's been one other quarterback that's done it, and that was Doug Flutie. But he only did it for a game as an experiment up in New England. And I, I think that was about it. He also drop-kicked an extra point, if you remember, you remember that. <laughs> I know. I, I saw Doug not too long ago. They want to bring back that drop-kick one more time for somebody. The injury that ended your career, even today, I can't watch it. Did you know then and there that your career as an NFL player was over? You were only 36 at the time. Over the years since then, have you ever felt that fate cheated you on your career? I never felt fate cheated me. I always appreciated the opportunity to play as long as I did. I played 15 years of professional football and and had some wonderful experiences, had a chance to uh, be a part of a championship football team. So I never felt cheated. Um, I've only seen the injury, my injury once. 
It's the most viewed in the history of, of injuries. Um, it happened on a Monday night when the world saw it. And for me, it was uh, just part of the game. I mean, I'd go back tomorrow and play in a heartbeat if somebody gave me the opportunity and physically I could do it. I love football. I've always loved football. I love everything about football. You know, I had hoped to come back. I didn't think my career was over because of the broken right leg and the mechanics of throwing a football. You didn't have the opportunity to have the strength that I had before. I started developing arm issues that I'd never had before. And it had to do with the arm making up the mechanism. You know, the, the, the legs, the, the arm, everything, the rotation of the body is all part of the mechanism. When you lose a percentage in one place, it has to be made up in another. And it just couldn't happen for me. But I, I don't look back as being cheated at all. I look back at my professional career and am very thankful for the coaches I played for, the men I played with, and to have had an opportunity to represent the National Football League because you don't go to a higher level than the NFL. When was the one time you uh, saw 20, I saw it 20 years after it was hurt. Um, David Haberstein from the New York Times, um, who has since passed, came down to Washington. He said, I want to look at this. I want to look at the injury with you. And so he he flew down to Washington and he actually brought the film with him. And I remember just as we turned to start the second quarter, my stomach starts to get a little nervous in anticipation of what was going to happen. I saw it. And that was the end of the interview. I said, there's no more that needs to be said. And um, I, it's really funny. I get people come up to me all the time and say, Joe, we're sorry you broke your leg. And I say, well, I appreciate that, but I actually didn't break my leg. Lawrence Taylor broke my leg. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Joe, you were the NFL's best player in 83. You know, we at the Talk of Fame Network are of the belief that you were, if you were the best player of your era or any time during your era, you deserve to be discussed as a potential Hall of Famer. Are you surprised that despite your accomplishments, the stats, the Pro Bowls, the Super Bowls, the MVP honor, that your name has never come up in Canton's discussions? No, I don't. I don't know what the criteria would be for the Hall of Fame in that kind of a regard. Certainly, to be considered for the Hall of Fame would be the greatest honor any player could receive. Um, it's a tremendous individual honor, but it also is a reflection of the teams you played on, the era you played in. You know, having the Super Bowl ring is a fabulous thing as well. But the, the Hall of Fame is something that distinguishes you as an individual. Even though you're a part of a team, it distinguishes you in, as an individual. And, and those men that have gone in, have, have, you know, just so many of them are so close friends and they're so deserved uh, of the honor that they've received. And, you know, it, it's out of my hands when it comes to whether or not I'm worthy to be considered a Hall of Fame candidate. And I've sort of made my mind up a long time ago. If I can't control it, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, but like I said, I just I, I love I love the weekend of the Hall of Fame. I've attended the Hall of Fame ceremonies for some of my teammates, uh, for Coach Gibbs, for Art Monk, uh, for Russ Grimm, you know, some of the John Riggins, some of the men that have gone in before that have represented the Washington Redskins. And uh, you don't know. I mean, time can only tell. And as time moves on, so many more great players become eligible and. Uh, if it ever did happen, it would be the greatest honor that ever happened to me in the world of in the world in the world of sports, from my perspective. But um, I just, you know, I appreciate somebody just saying, "Hey, look, you know, uh, it would be great if you were in." But I thank him and, and just go on. We're with former Washington quarterback Joe Theismann <laughs> on the Talk of Fame Network. And Joe, earlier on this program, we asked Roger Staubach about the impact that Tom Landry had on his career. I want to ask you about another Hall of Fame coach, and that's Joe Gibbs. What impact did he have on your career? Oh, he had a tremendous impact, not only on my career, but me as a person. I got, you know, I was Joe's first quarterback. So 
uh, I wasn't easy on him, and it was an experience, I'm sure, because I'm a little bit high-strung. And, uh, you know, Joe used to walk out. He'd, he'd live at the facility Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night. Joe slept there. I mean, they worked till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Many instances, I'd come in at 7.30, and Don Bro, our running backs coach, would be sound asleep in one of the meeting rooms, or <laughs> someone else would be asleep someplace else in a hallway. And Coach Gibbs used to be in his office in about 7.30, 8 o'clock as we were getting ready for our meetings. He would come walking out with a cup of coffee, hair all disheveled, and I'd come flying down the hallway going, hey, Coach, how's it going? He would turn around and look at me and just walk back in his office for the next 15 minutes to try and gain some sanity before he had to deal with me. <laughs> Joe, Joe basically, you know, when I first got him, we were going to run the San Diego Charger offense. I'd studied Dan Fouts. We were going to throw the ball all over the place, and I did the first year. We were 0-5, throwing it all over the place. Hey, Joe, we've got to run, but uh, thanks for the time, and I mean it. When, when I go to Carlisle many, many years ago, you were the best and most available quote, so thanks again for spending time with us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Talk of Fame Network. Now, the reminder that the Talk of Fame Network is brought to you by Geico Insurance, where 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more details, go to geico.com. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant sandwich deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant sandwich. You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant sandwich, and I gave one to this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant sandwich deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwich sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary. This is the Talk of Fame Network on SB Nation Radio. Here are your Hall of Fame voters, Ron Borges. Cannot play with him. Rick Goslin. Cannot win with him. And Clark Judge. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. I want winners. We want winners too. So, Art, let's try this again. Cue Mike Pereira on that whistle, would you? That's the two-minute warning. Yes, sir. It's the two-minute warning. So, Goose, take us home with that Burger King drill. Home of the Burger King breakfast. Marshawn Lynch topped the NFL jersey sales in May. What's the over-under on the number of those jerseys now hanging in the closets at the Ron Borges abode? That would be 100 less than the number of Art Shell jerseys. You got that right. But it actually would be zero. He will never crack my Marv Hubbard, Mark Van Egan, Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson collection. <laughs> got him covered. <laughs> Tom Brady ranks second in jersey sales. What's the over-under on the number of those jerseys in the Connecticut castle of Clark Judge? Zero. Now, if you want to talk about photos of Giselle. I would say goes way over the number of non-suspended player jerseys. (laughs) That's a cheap shot. The NFL is conducting a clinic this weekend for the league's young assistant coaches to instruct them on the fundamentals of the game. What would Vince Lombardi think? Well, he'd say the assistants might as well learn them because the players can't. He would say, what the hell are you doing out there? Grabbing, grabbing. Everybody's just grabbing. The New England Super Bowl ring has 283 diamonds to signify that 28-3 deficit the Patriots overcame against the Falcons. In hindsight, should the Patriots have fallen behind by 40? No, in hindsight, the Falcons shouldn't have gotten greedy. In hindsight, they were trying, I think. Josh Norman says he was a better cornerback last season with the Redskins than he ever was with the Panthers. What does the tape say? That he wasn't great in either place. Tape don't lie. Players do. 
Vince Young tore his hamstring in practice with the CFL team and will miss four to six weeks. Is this the end of the line for the former NFL Rookie of the Year? No, sir, Goose. Last time I checked, the New York Jets were still in business. <laughs> I would say his body is talking to him, Goose, and he'd be wise to listen. The Viking, the Georgia Dome will be imploded in November. What would you inscribe on the building's team tombstone? We came, we saw, we stunk. This was not a peach of a place. <laughs> well, we'd like to thank Mike and Kyle Shanahan, James Harris, and John Clayton for joining us, Art DeBaca for producing a work of art, and you for listening to us. If you'd like to hear this or any of our podcasts, just to go to our website, that would be talkoffamenetwork.com, or find us on iTunes or your podcast app. Otherwise, catch us on this station, and at this time next week, we'll be here. We hope you will be too. Have a happy Father's Day. Hey, it's Steve. I can't come to the phone right now because I'm protesting the high price of my mobile plan. Metro PCS must think I'm an ATM, but I'm not. Do I look like an ATM? More like Steve TM. Switch to Boost and get two lines with three gigs of 4G LTE data per line for only $50. With Metro PCS, you only get two gigs per line for that same price. Plus, get up to two free LG X Power phones. All powered by the fast and reliable Sprint Nationwide Network. Boost is the best value in wireless among national prepaid carriers. Visit a Boost mobile store today. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Offer ends 71017. Primary line is $50 with second line $0 per month. Requires one line to port in. Lines include unlimited talk, text, and data. Once high-speed data allotment reached, speeds reduced to 2G speeds until next plan cycle. Comparison based on Metro PCS's 2-gigabyte promo plan as of 6-12-17. Free phone requires port in and activation on $50 plans. Select models only while supplies last. Coverage and offers not available everywhere. Restrictions apply. See participating dealer for details. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. Think you can't manage the down payment it takes to purchase a new home? Think again. You could move into a $150,000 home with as little as $1,500 down with our 1% down payment option. The rate today on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.875%, APR 4.12%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to quickenloans.com. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Burger King presents Breakfast Stories. Here's Pete, Tony, and the two for four dollar croissant sandwich deal. The other day, Pete and I go to Burger King for my croissant sandwich. You know, they're just two for four bucks. Oh, it's my favorite. I'm like, what? Yeah, so I got two croissant sandwich, and I get one of this guy. I'm like, who are you? I'm the guy that just paid for your breakfast. That's my favorite guy. <laughs> you guys. The croissant sandwich deal is two for four dollars. Now made with 100% butter for a soft and flaky croissant. Get two croissant sandwich sandwiches now for four dollars only at Burger King. Price and participation vary.